I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and it's that time for the Jack Riccardi Show. Christian, I say we dust that Corvette for Prince. We're going to find Donald Trump's Prince on that Corvette. Have you ever he tried was to in get... that garage planting those documents? Come on. <laughs> Come on, America. Uh, I was just going to say, have you ever tried to get fingerprints off a Corvette? No, I have not. Have you? No, I haven't. <laughs> I was hoping you, you could made that sound me. like you made that sound like that's something you've done many times. Oh, <laughs> right. Jack, I have to tell you. Um, uh, and you know, as a car guy, I have to say, um, if you're gonna if you're gonna lock something up uh, next to your uh, vintage Corvette, that tells me that you know you uh, you're serious. You're, I mean, you know, you understand you understand how guys are with their classic cars. You know, you don't take any you don't take better care of anything. All than I've you do got, with that Corvette. No, all I've got to worry about is how to handle my Star Wars action figures, and that's, that's right. about it. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, well, President Joe Biden says he takes classified materials seriously, and we know this because he takes them home and takes them everywhere, and he had them apparently in the garage in Wilmington next to his vet. Uh, so this is now the uh, either second or third stash of sensitive documents that are marked classified, and there, there is an argument, by the way, that says we, we have too many things that are classified, too many documents are marked classified or classified as such. But in any event, um, this disclosure uh, coming uh, on the heels of an investigation into whether the president was mishandling classified documents after he left office as vice president in 2017. So this is all about the period from when Obama and Biden leave office during the period of time that Joe Biden is a private citizen and um, before he is elected in November of 2020. Uh, today, uh, Merrick Garland came out, the Attorney General came out and appointed a former Maryland U.S. attorney named Robert Hur as special counsel to examine it. So now there are two special counsels. Trump has one and Biden has one. The president was speaking to reporters today about the economy when Fox News' Peter Ducey confronted him about the uh, the Corvette documents. Take a listen to this. Cut number two. Mr. President, Mr. President, Mr. President, thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Mr. President, okay. classified, classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but anyway. Street was in a garage. Yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Mm. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely mm. with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyer has reviewed other All places. Right, so then he goes into this whole pre, you know, they had written this out for him, this statement. But see, he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, he didn't have the discipline to just read what they wrote for him. He had to riff about, hey, I locked him up with my Corvette. Come on, man. Look fat. It's my Corvette. As I said yesterday, apparently, uh, the place to find classified documents is everywhere but the National Archives. Uh, apparently, we have a real problem with people in power. 
uh, not leaving these things or or uh, ensconcing these things uh, in the places uh, they are supposed to be. My issue with Biden and the Democrats is not that they have these documents, but that they got on their uh, they got up on their big white high horse uh, over Trump, and they have again punched themselves right in the face. So we've got the special counsel, we've got the Republican Congress. You know that they're going to go all out um, on this. Um, what were you thinking, Peter Ducey asks? This is a good question. It's a good question. I found myself thinking, let me tell you how whacked out this is. Trey Ware texted me this morning before I had seen the Corvette statement, and I thought Trey was trying to be funny. I thought he was sending me like his, you know, he was like cracking funny. I didn't realize he was quoting. He was sending me verbatim what Biden said when I saw it with my own eyes and ears. This is unbelievable. But he couldn't stick to that statement they gave him. He had to he had to go off on it. And remember the Corvette was used during the campaign to tell us how cool and every man uh Joe Biden uh is. And th- there was actually a campaign ad where he's he's walking around with the Corvette in that garage, so we probably saw the classified the box with the classified documents is probably in the background. Um, what do you think is going on here? Um, where do you think this is going? There's a lot of theories about it. There are theories uh, ranging from people who think the Democrats did this to Biden because they're planning on moving him out of the way for 2024. There are also theories that the Republicans did this. The uh, collective brain cells of the view we're talking about this today that maybe maybe this is uh so bad for Biden and so good for Trump that must mean that somehow Trump isn't just lucky maybe he engineered this cut number 4 you know, you know what I think? I've never Trump. seen a, a luckier person than Donald Trump. Just as we're this close well, to getting him, but you somehow know these but it, documents you know appear. But here's the thing. Biden is wrong to have done this. He, he was in office wrong. for well, let's 40 find years. Out, let's that. find out what this is first. Now, again, mm. one of the things That's that true. gets me crazy is... Before we know, it's mm. already been spun mm. a specific yeah. way. I don't want to mm. see that. But I want to see... Mm-hmm. Someone explain to me, A, how it's possible that after all this time, nobody yeah. knew this. Because to me, if you're missing classified information, hold on, I hold on, whoop. Hold on, whoopster. Let me help you with that. Hold, let me help you with that. I'm so glad she doesn't want to rush for judgment like, like they never do on The View. It turns out, and I know some of you already know this, so bear with me. I'm just trying to make sure everybody's up to speed. It turns out what we've learned is that the Justice Department, and, and Merrick Garland laid this out today. The, the, I'm not making this up. This is in his own words. Merrick Garland explained today that they've known about the documents since at least November. That they were discovered on November 2nd. These are the ones at the Penn Biden Center, the think tank. That's right before the midterm election. I think it's possible they did not want that to come out right before people were voting. And then they uh, were looking at other locations. So now we know why they were looking at other locations. 
Um, the DOJ didn't get informed about Biden's garage documents, according to Garland, until December 20th. And um, it, it's in dribs and drabs. They keep finding out about a few here and a few uh, there. And up until now, Garland had assigned a U.S. attorney to handle this as a normal DOJ investigation. And when he came out today to announce the special prosecutor, the new guy, he had the old guy, I think his name is Lausch or Losh, with him. So they thought, we're just going to do this in-house. And now he appoints the special counsel and says, oh, you know, this is, it's risen to that, uh, to that uh, level. So there's several ways of looking at this. Garland could just be putting window dressing on it. It's a foregone conclusion. Uh, this could be the Democrats, you know, sort of, beginning the process of moving Joe out of the way. Um, it, it, it certainly is possible that, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this is a legitimately independent, uh, independent investigation. Um, certainly they're, they're trying to negate any claim of a bias. Uh, there's nothing about this guy, Robert Hur that we know so far that would appear to be an irritant to either party or would indicate uh, some issue with either uh, party. One thing I do know from watching a lot of these things before is that this will probably drag on. If anything, this investigation announced today will slow down the Trump investigation that was announced last year. And so both of these will probably drag on past the 2024 election. And remember, the reason for investigating Trump was because he is a an apparent candidate for president in 2024. Well, Joe Biden is an apparent candidate for president, if you believe him, in 2024. So how about this? How about both of the leading candidates for president in 2024 are now the subject of a special counsel investigation, which probably, neither of which will probably end before the election in 2024. And how are you doing? How's your day going? Congressman Joe Wilson is a Republican from South Carolina, and I say Republican because you would more expect this from a Democrat, but he has sponsored a bill to commission and display a bust of Ukrainian President Zelensky in the Capitol. House Resolution 10 would direct the Fine Arts Board of the Capitol to commission and obtain a bust of the President of Ukraine, to be displayed amongst the founding fathers, former American presidents, generals, etc. I get that we're sending them billions of dollars, but this is turning into a cult, okay? This is turning into a cult. You put busts in the U.S. Capitol of American leaders, great Americans, people of our, who, who have made our country what it is. Now, Either, either the aid to Ukraine is about some geopolitical thing or it isn't. Maybe it's the military industrial complex or maybe it's just uh, a, a man crush on Vladimir Zelensky. I don't know. But a bust of this guy, really? It's embarrassing. And I really would have expected it from the Democrats, but it was a Republican who proposed it. 
Okay, I did not watch, I want to be honest about this, I did not watch the Golden Globes last night in keeping with my uh, long-standing tradition of never watching award shows. I mean, who cares, right? But I was very intrigued by what I heard about it this morning. So the Golden Globes were on NBC last night, and they were hosted by a comedian named Jared Carmichael. Jared Carmichael is an African-American comedian. I'm not very familiar with his work. I kind of sort of know who he is. But they brought him out there, and um turns out, <clears throat> you know, most of the time, the morning after one of these shows, it's the, it's the most outrageous joke or a one-liner. It turns out Jared Carmichael said something out loud that you and I have been talking about for a long, long time. And I have the feeling the people that hired him to do this did not want him to say what he said. Cut number six. I am your host, Gerard Carmichael. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. And I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I'm black. Now, let me be clear about what I'm saying here. He's a funny guy, um, and it, it makes sense to have comedians host these shows, and they usually do. He isn't saying, I'm not good enough to do this job. He isn't saying, I shouldn't be here. He is calling out the white guilt that led the um, Hollywood Foreign Press Association, I think it's called, that runs this thing, to not only hire him over far better known and, and, and more famous hosts, but to also offer him way more money than you normally pay for this gig. And he said on the broadcast, they're paying me $500,000 just to do these three hours. So that is why I think white guilt and wokeism and uh, this this overcompensation for white guilt and white racism that, that, that's this is why I'm against it. I give him major props for taking their money and then embarrassing the hell out of them, saying I'm only they only called me, they only reached out to me, their only interest in me was they wanted a black host, and then they gave me a ton of money so I would stay in line. Well, I'm going to take their money, but I'm not going to stay in line. Well played, Mr. Carmichael. Talking about all the breaking news, breaking it all down, your chance to dish it out and kick it around. And we do that every Monday through Friday from 4 to 7 live and on demand anytime you want to listen at KTSA.com. So, yeah, we've got um, the Corvette papers, so I guess we'll be calling them now. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I, as I said earlier in the week, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. And I'm not letting Biden off the hook when I say this. I mean, they should skewer him. But, but, this is part of an entitlement attitude. These people that govern us think they rule us. They feel entitled to do things that anybody else would live in fear of doing. My God, if you were an employee of the federal government and you accidentally walked out with one of these, just one of these documents, you'd be sweating blood. 
look at how this keeps happening, but nothing happens to the people who do it, and I predict nothing will happen to any of them. I remember, do you remember there was a guy that worked for um, Clinton? Can't think of his name now. He was, in the, he was like his national security advisor or something. And they caught him with, with uh, documents stuffed down his pants. I'd be like, you know what? Uh, just make us some Xeroxes and keep the originals. But seriously, you know, it, th- this is a class of people doing what an entitled class does. And yeah, they're so frustrated. You know what they're frustrated about? You know what they're mad about? Not the compromising of secrets or the possibility that Hunter was showing these to his Chinese buddies. You know what they're upset about? This blunts their attack on Donald Trump. You heard one of the, one of the Harridans on The View even say, we almost had him. Which, what does that even mean? 210-599-5555. All right. Uh, never mind. Nothing to it, nothing to see here. Move along, says the Consumer Product Safety Commission. There's no plan to prohibit natural gas stoves. We're not going to do that. That's not what? What the what? Where did you get that? I told you. I told you. It's like it never happened. What's that commercial? Is it Surf Pro? Like it never happened. Don't be fooled. All they're doing here is they're reading the room and they're saying, okay, now's not the time. We're not ready. This is still very much in the playbook for green, the green new dealers. In fact, the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, freshly reelected, uh, came out yesterday, uh, or I'm sorry, Tuesday. Uh, she gave her state of the state speech. And she says they're going to ban fossil fuel uh, construction, new construction, within five years. Small buildings by 2025, larger buildings by 2028. You will not be able to install equipment or equip new buildings in the state of New York to use fossil fuel burning appliances and products, whether it's heating them or cooking or anything. So they're not giving up on it. They're just back to the drawing board for the time for the time being and that's the thing you got to remember about this when we raise our voices we don't stop them we just slow them down a little it's the thursday show jack riccardi on ktsa you can join the show at 210-599-5555 thank you mike for emailing me the name it was sandy berger who worked for uh, the clintons and had stuffed uh, documents, government documents, uh, down his pants. <laughs> Must have been some loose-fitting corduroys. He wasn't wearing those. Wasn't wearing those skinny jeans everybody's wearing now. Um, so we've been talking about the uh, Corvette papers. We've been talking about uh, Jared Carmichael on the Golden Globes, putting up a statue of Zelensky in the U.S. Capitol. Uh, 210-599-5555. You want to get in on any of that. Councilman Clayton Perry was back at uh, City Council this week. Now, we all wish him well. We, we know him a little bit on this show. He's been on our show many times. I'll explain why in a second. He's been on our show many times. Uh, but, you know, we we feel like we know him a little bit. 
And we wish him well in whatever it is he's dealing with. We all remember the incredibly embarrassing body cam police video last fall. He had uh, apparently fled the scene of an accident at Redland Road and jones Malsberger Road. Um, and he was in his backyard, and he was just a mess. I mean, you were looking at a human being in the throes of something, right? Of something. And it came to light, according to the Express News, that he had been at a bar, and in a four-hour period, it had 14 drinks. But you watch that video, and you're seeing somebody who's not only had too much to drink, but who is clearly dealing with something. The mayor wanted him to resign. And I said at the time, and I'll say it again, and I believe this about all elected officials, it is not for other people to decide whether or not they are fit to represent a group of constituents. That is up to the group of constituents. I don't think Ilhan Omar should be in Congress, but the people in her district do, so she's there. There's a lot of people that want this uh, phony baloney uh, Republican uh, Santos to be thrown out of Congress, but that should be up to the people that he represents from Long Island. So I, I said at the time, and I'll still say it, the people of District 10 can decide on, on Clayton Perry, but he's back at City Hall now. And maybe he believes that his constituents want him back there because they did, after all, reelect him. Or maybe he's back there because work is therapeutic. And if you've ever dealt with anything, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's depression, whether it's divorce, whether it's mourning, work can be therapeutic if you can do the work and deal with the things you're dealing with. Work can be therapeutic. And if you have a passion for what you do, and I think I know a little bit about that, When you do a job that you love doing, it doesn't sap you, it strengthens you. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what's going on here. Coming back and finishing this term is one thing for Clayton Perry. I do have to question the wisdom of him running for another term this spring, which reportedly he wants to do. Because you have to get yourself straightened out. You can't be any good to anybody until you straighten yourself out. And then you have a responsibility to the district. And if we're going to be honest, it's not just another city council district. District 10 is the only city council district that is likely to be or possibly can be represented by anyone who is a centrist or right of center. The other nine districts are lost causes. They will be represented by lefties, if not socialists. So is it the best thing for Clayton Perry to put himself out there? Or is it the best thing for Clayton Perry to identify somebody in the community who would be his kind of voice and has his kinds of experience and his kinds of policies and bring them forward? I think that's the decision. I'm not saying, here's what you should do, because who am I to say that? But I think that's the thought process. But it's, it, it, it's really important to me that if we're going to have government of the people, by the people, for the people, that when a group of people, 
whether it's a city council district, whether it's a school board district, whether it's a congressional district, if if they elect somebody who is to you or to me or to most of us unfit, but they chose that person, that's between them and that person. You can say all you want about well, we all they serve all of us, and it's either that matters or that doesn't matter. And if we're if we're going to say that doesn't matter, then why do we elect people by district? Why do we put a little fence around a group of people and go, okay, you're you're going to rep- you're going to be electing the person who represents you? And that's the bedrock. That's the cornerstone of the whole thing: representative government. 210-599-5555. We've been talking about um, what's happening with uh, Joe Biden's uh, papers. There was a piece in the Washington Examiner that basically said, well, this whole thing is a gift to Trump. Now, when you say, because Joe Biden did it, it makes it harder to go after Donald Trump, that to me is like looking at it through a soda straw. That to me is like saying the whole point of enforcing the law is is when you can enforce it to get rid of somebody or bring somebody down. And I'm not naive. I understand there's a lot of that. But do these people know how they sound? When the, when the people on The View or the people on MSNBC are banging the counter going, damn it, now we can't get Trump. Do, do they realize how they are giving away the whole game? They don't even stop to pretend to care about these documents. All they know is they were on a mission, they had a plan, and the plan's been foiled. It rained on the day of the picnic. Damn it. Now, a person that might not have a dog in the race or an alien watching us from another planet might look and go, well, isn't your real problem, earthlings, that your um, elected representatives and your chosen few uh, are above the law? If you have a problem with classified documents possibly falling into nefarious hands or being seen by the wrong people if that's a problem if you're not just pretending it is but that really is then why is your reaction oh my gosh now we can't get trump because i gotta tell you i i know a lot of people that hate trump start, start starting with my entire family okay But are we really prepared to say, and I guess I'm asking this rhetorically unless you want to answer it, are we really prepared to say that getting Trump is more important, more valuable than this um, sort of death struggle that we're in with the Chinese communists? In other words... You're not, that's not what you're concerned about? That a guy who shares office space with Chinese communists as Joe and Hunter Biden do, and we know that, and therefore, for all we know, 
has has exposed classified documents to them. That that isn't what you're worried about. That isn't what you're concerned about. The fact that Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and now Joe Biden have all taken out of their protected, uh, secure facilities documents that don't belong to them. And although I don't think Donald Trump is doing business with the Chinese or selling these, if we're going to say it's important that classified documents have a chain of custody and are handled appropriately, then it has to be important all the time. But see, the way these people talk about it, it sounds like they're not worried about the, the, the Corvette papers. They're just frustrated. This just ruined their plan. Like they got a run in their hose. You know, damn it. It's hard to take it seriously when you look at it that way. Uh, 210-599-5555. Um, a lot of stuff in the news today that we're kind of kicking around here. And, uh, city councilman Clayton Perry, uh, returning to city hall this week and Jenna calling in on that at 210-599-5555. Jenna, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Doing really good. I'm driving home from work. Yay. <laughs> so what did you think about uh, the Clayton Perry story? Well, you know, I so I have a different take on it. I, I you know, I don't I don't know him well, but I know of him and I've been around him and have, you know, been to some functions where he's been at. I'm in District Ten and he's very supportive of our you know, little communities, and he comes to, you know, the parades and the celebrations. I've also seen him a few times, you know, at Evil Olive, because um, I hang out there, and, you know, I've never seen him out of control or out of line. And so, you know, it was a, really an unfortunate decision he made that night, and, you know, but I like the fact he's taking accountability for it. But I think he should go back to work because, number one, He's the only conservative on that, that board. Number two, he's good um, at what he does. He's personable, and he'll be facing his shame because, you know, you know, anybody in that situation would, my guess is most people would have a lot of shame about it. And to go back out in public and to say, yes, I did it, and this is me, and I still want to continue to serve. And I mm-hmm. think that, too, if, you know, it gives him a purpose and – yeah, he needs to fix his stuff and needs to figure out what happened and put some safety checks in place. But, I mean, there's a lot of people who get DUIs and, you know, and I, I don't think they quit their job to mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. that. Now, if he was mm-hmm. working full-time, had a family, and was going to school, I'd say, yeah, you need to, to, you know, pare down so you can, you know, work on yourself. But, you know, a job, mm-hmm. I think it'd be good for him. So, yeah, no, I think you're – I, I mean, that, those are good points. I mean, it, it sometimes – the best thing you can do is stay busy uh, as long as you're also, you know, as long as you're taking care of yourself and not uh, working past or working Too around hard, whatever right. that, th- yeah, whatever that thing is that, yeah. that, that you need to deal with. I, I, I have to say, though, right. when you when you look at the tape, this isn't just a guy that had a little too much to drink. Th- th- right. This is a guy who is so, I mean, 
most of us in our entire lives have, have not been like that. And, and it just, you've got to be, you've got to be aware of what, how you got to that point. He's no kid either. He's, he's, he's what my age, I think, or older. So yeah. I, I just yeah. want him to be, I want him to be okay. And I also want that seat to be okay because I'm not going to lie, uh, Jenna, not only is he the only conservative, but that's the only seat that can be held by a conservative, uh, at uh-huh. this point. So if he, if he goes down, You'll have a you. You won't have anybody saying the things he says at City Hall, and that's not good. Yeah, yeah. And you know, thanks for the call, Jenna. Good job, thank you. Uh, John is on five fifty and one zero seven one KTSa calling about the Corvette papers. John, good afternoon. Hey, how you doing, sir? Good, thank you. Hey, I'm confused about the classified documents from Biden and. You know, Clinton and even Trump. I'm sorry. I'll even say his name. There usually is a security manager that controls and accounts for every document that is classified. All classified documents are required to be locked up and put into what they call a skiff, a -hmm. secured location that no one else Mm -hmm. can get into. So Mm -hmm. why is it taking six, seven, eight years Mm-hmm. For this stuff to finally come out, mm-hmm. it don't make sense. Well, but in a way, don't you think your question also is sort of the answer? I mean, if if you as a as a as a and you sound like you're you're fairly knowledgeable about this. So, did you ever work with classified materials, or did you ever have a security clearance? Um, that is correct, sir. Okay, so then you know, right that. If you had accidentally come home one day and somehow you'd walked out with something, you'd be you'd be sweating bullets. Okay. You'd you'd think your life be, was over. I'd be in Leavenworth. Yeah. So that's our problem. <laughs> that's our problem. Because not only do they have them, and as you say, they have them all kinds of places, including very insecure places. I'm sorry, but next to the vet is insecure. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I'm Banana Republic, vet, right? That's not secure next to his Corvette. I'm cur- I'm no. just joking. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. The 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 C and Skiff must stand for Corvette, right? But I mean, oh, so the problem we we probably have is that that these people feel entitled to do things the rest of us would would die if we thought we had accidentally done. That's a big right, problem. You you you've you've actually answered your own question, John. We've got a bigger problem than just getting our political opponents. Correct, but who is the security manager for the White House that's allowing this stuff to happen? Or they well, don't you think don't do don't you think don't you think that when it's the boss, whoever the manager is, probably feels a little. Well, you know, he is the president, or he is the vice president, or I, I can't really. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a culture that where where people feel like at that level you can't just confront someone, you can't just demand something from. Yeah, well, apparently not, right? I mean, you I'm ask the questions. I'm trying to. I'm trying to give you the best answer I can. Apparently, that system doesn't work for the upper crust. It does. It it has not worked. Hillary Clinton, in full view of everyone, was conducting business for the State Department on an unsecured email server in her guest bathroom. And, and I mean, they were getting the emails from her with the, with the, uh, email address that was clearly unsecure on it, on the header, and no one 
challenged the Secretary of State. Well, they should have. You've identified a major part of this. Tomorrow night, tomorrow night, the San Antonio Spurs are playing the Golden State Warriors at the Alamo Dome. That's right, at the Alamo Dome. Because this is part of the Spurs' 50th anniversary season. And uh, one of the things they're doing is playing this game at the Dome, where they where they used to play before the AT&T Center was opened up, what, about 20 years ago? Um, and they are going to, it looks like they are going to set a uh, single-game regular season attendance record. Uh, they've already sold, I think, 64, 65,000 seats. Um, and so they are, and you can get up, up to 68,000 in the dome. And of course, Golden State Warriors, one of the marquee teams in the NBA, Steph Curry is back from his injury. Um, so we're asking you today on the JR poll, uh, which Spurs venue was your favorite place to see the Spurs? Was it the Convention Center Arena? Was it the Alamo Dome? Or is it the AT&T Center where they now live most of the year? And when I came to San Antonio, they were playing in the Alamo Dome. In fact, I think I came the year after they left the Convention Center Arena. I've actually never, I, I never got to go in the Convention Center Arena. And you have people that will tell you they loved it and people who hated it. A lot of people have fond memories of it. When we did our show about what was the best concert you ever saw, a ton of them were at the Convention Center Arena. Um, but when I came, they were playing in the Alamo Dome, uh, where they played for several years until the 18, and, and there was a, a, a constant debate about whether a new facility needed to be built and should it be built and should the taxpayers pay for it or not. And remember, they were going to build one, uh, at the Northeast Quarry where the, uh, where Heroes Stadium is now. And there were all kinds of other ideas and places to put it and what have you. And um, ultimately, we got the the AT&T Center. Anyway, when I came here to San Antonio, I worked for the other station, the other guys in town, and that's the Spurs station. And I got to go to a lot of Spurs games because since they carried the games, they had a lot of tickets. I mean, they had a lot of tickets. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, people were wiping their butts with tickets over there. I don't know if it's still that way, but there were tickets everywhere. You could get tickets like you could get, you know, <laughs> like you could ask somebody for a pencil. And um, so I would go to these games, and I and it was it was a little odd to me at first to see a basketball game in such a huge place, and they would draw that curtain. Um, but I, I loved going. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I had no problem with the... There, there are people that will say it was not suitable, but I, I thought it was kind of cool. And it felt kind of jerry-rigged, but um, I didn't care. Uh, and then I went to some of the AT&T Center games uh, later on, too. But by then I was working here where we don't have... <laughs> I was almost going to say we're, where we don't have any anything. But we over here at this... Don, help me out. At this station... We are a little more, um, uh-oh. Yeah, Don's like, I want no part of this. <laughs> well, they just, uh, they're very careful with, like, tickets to things. Mm-hmm. Which was, does that, that's okay to say, right? Okay. I didn't say they were cheap and stingy. <laughs> I just said they, 
Yeah. Where, you know, they... Select, like, selective. Thank you. I knew you'd have it. I knew you'd have it. Man of a few words, Don Cooper, mm. but always the right words. That's why long after I'm gone, he'll still be here. Yeah, but over there, it was like, tickets t- Tickets were flying. Hey, ticket, who wants tickets? They'd walk down the hall. Anybody want Spurs tickets? I mean, it was crazy. So I'd go to a lot of the games. Um, so which one did you like? The Alamo Dome? The Convention Center Arena? Or the AT&T Center? See, I Today's had a, JR poll. I had a chance to actually see the Spurs at the Convention Center Arena. And I, what did you think? I, I found it more intimate myself. I, I, you know, there was a lot of pros and cons, but, uh, you know, because mm. of the seating arrangements and there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, because it was a smaller venue, but I just found it uh, much um I believe I read that it was the smallest um, in term not not in terms of seat seating capacity, but in terms of like dimensions. It was like the most intimate arena in the NBA at the time. And it's funny how they went from that to playing in a football stadium, and then eventually they found a happy medium with the AT and T Center, which was purpose built uh, for things like this. So, what did you like? Paul is on KTSA voting in the JR poll. So, Paul, of those three venues, which was your favorite to see the Spurs? I prefer the Alamo Dome, and I've been to all three. And uh, the reason I I preferred it, number one, it wasn't so formal. In other words, you could move around, go to this section, that section, get down on the floor. When you're in that AT&T Center, it's, it's like if you move from one compartment to the other, there's three ushers on you. And uh, I remember I, I brought my kid down to see Michael Jordan when he played for the Bulls. We got right down on the floor. I got a picture with him out on the court. You can't even appear to get that way. Right, right. Well, that's um, a cool story. Also, also, the other thing is it was more affordable. I mean, that you say there were tickets everywhere. It's because they, they seated so many. It was kind of hard to get used to at first, coming from the smaller uh, mm-hmm. arena. Mm-hmm. But I loved it. I loved it, and I yeah. loved the location. Yeah, yeah. No, those are all really good points. Uh, and the, the the deal about meeting Michael Jordan is pretty cool too. Paul, thank you. Thanks for the call. Uh, all right, so that's our poll question: Which was your favorite Spurs venue? I, but I enjoyed the, the Alamo Dome, and I it every time you went there, you you had the feeling that this can't last. It, 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 this is not going to last. And by that, I mean either the Spurs are going to leave San Antonio, because remember, that was a, a constant threat, right? Or rumor. Or eventually we're going to get a, a regular button down type of facility, like Paul was saying, and it'll be more formal. That was a great word. Perfect description of the difference. Between when you go to the Alamo Dome, it felt very sort of you know loosey goosey, and you know that I mean, not completely, but it, it almost felt like you could just walk in, right? You certainly could walk around, and um, I don't know. The AT and T Center is a nice building and all that. I'm not knocking it, but it, it now it's more like sort of a grown up corporate kind of kind of thing. So um, with the Spurs going back to the dome tomorrow night. Uh, 210-599-5555. Which of their venues was your favorite place to see them is our question people are voting on. Jim is on the radio. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jack. Happy New Year. I haven't spoken Happy to New you Year, in a while. 
Hey, listen, growing up, uh, when the Spurs came to San Antonio from Dallas, I believe, mm-hmm. um, my mother worked for that same uh, ownership group or company, parent company, if you will, that owned the Spurs at the time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we had free tickets all the time. We, 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 we went all the time, cheap entertainment. I love the Hemisphere Arena because um, it was intimate. I mean, you're sitting right up there at the court. Even if you're sitting in the upper sections, which I didn't do very often, but I did for concerts and whatnot because, you know, those were the tickets that I could get. Um, it was so steep, I'll never forget, coming down the steps. But that was the bad part. And then you had the pillars. Um, you had a lot of obstructed uh, view seats in Hemisphere Arena. Other than that, it was mm-hmm. great. Uh, Alamo Dome, I didn't go to too many Spurs games, but I did go to some. It seemed like it was just you were too far away from the court for basketball, at least for for me, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. AT&T Center, to me, is kind of a happy medium between the two, although I don't go to any Spurs games anymore, but I think that would be the best one for watch of the three to watch a basketball mm-hmm. game. Okay. Interesting take on all three. Jim, thank you. Uh, we're asking you to pick one. Which one of the Spurs venues was your favorite, if you had a chance to see them or see at least two of them? Um, was it the AT&T Center? Was it the Alamo Dome? Was it the arena? And, and um, I think, it, yeah, it was Steph Curry. They asked Steph Curry the other night. Uh, believe it or not, I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised they would even ask him this, but they asked him about coming here tomorrow night and returning to the Alamo Dome because he remembered playing in the Alamo Dome. And he said something very interesting from a player's standpoint, which I had never thought of um, because I'm not a basketball player. He said that there was an adjustment that you had to make when you played in the Alamo Dome because the, the sight lines were different, like your perspective on the basket was different. Obviously, the basket was the same height, but but I never thought about that. It obviously appeared the whole sort of backdrop or the visuals when you're when you're uh, coming down the court are different, and of course the 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 fans are not as close. But he said they were very very loud because there were always so many of them, and he loved it. He sounded very he was very excited that they were going to be back there uh, with the Spurs tomorrow night, and uh, he said he enjoyed playing there. But he said there was a different kind of energy because of the kind of building it was. It never would have occurred to me that the the players noticed that i i thought that was more of a more of a fan thing 210 599 as we get your votes in on the jr poll and albert's on the radio on ktsa albert good afternoon how you doing jack good thanks how are you so uh, very good sir so mine is definitely the alamo dome okay and being to all three uh my mom when i was uh, i was around 10 years old i was going to the hemisphere and I still have some tickets, ticket stubs from there. It's really cool. But as, you know, a teenager and an older adult, I went to the Alamo Dome a lot, and that was so fun and loud there. It, it was just a different feel. It was, it was wide open. You know, it was huge. It was humongous. Mm-hmm. And that's where we had the banners, obviously, of the championship. So that's mm-hmm. my favorite. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the magic, the, 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 the beginning of the dynasty – uh, was at the Alamo Dome. I don't know. It 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 just felt like uh, it was too good to last. You know, <laughs> somehow right. sooner or later, yeah. the, either the team is going to leave or they're going to they're going to build another building. And and of course, fortunately, the team didn't leave. So 
Great yeah. story, Albert. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. I have a lot of great memories of the Alamo Dome. I was thinking about this today when I was putting the poll question together. You know, I I saw some good Spurs games there. I saw some good concerts there, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, I saw Billy Graham there, which is going to stay with me my entire life. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was such a weird place. I mean that in a good way to be playing NBA basketball games. Like it, it, it always, every game felt like a temporary home, you know, because it, it shouldn't have been, but it was. Um, nothing against the AT&T Center. Uh, they did a nice, uh, nice job with it. 210-599-5555. Um, uh, Jack writes to KTSA, jack at ktsa.com. One of my favorite sports memories is at the arena. I was a little kid. I went with my dad to see his hero, Larry Bird, and the Celtics play the Spurs. Um, and there were a lot of people mentioning things like the, the baseline bums and stuff like that. I, the, the other thing I guess that was different for me was coming from Boston in the Northeast, I was used to the Boston Garden, which is a very, very old, um, building. I mean, it had a lot of history, but it was v- it just very decrepit. The, the, like the, the bathrooms were medieval. So to me, the Alamo Dome just seemed, you know, it seemed incredibly modern and clean and stuff like that. I guess it's kind of like your perspective on what you've seen, what you're used to versus what you're experiencing. But we're, uh, we're asking you about it. The Spurs will be there with the Warriors, uh, tomorrow night. And by the way, a lot of, uh, cautions about tomorrow night with 65, 66,000 people. Uh, there's going to be some major, uh, traffic. Uh, in that area, they're saying definitely if you're going to the game, you need to get down there early. If you're not going to the game, you need to stay the heck away from that whole, uh, area. They're going to do a via park and ride from the AT&T Center and from Crossroads and from some other locations. So that might be the way to go, but, uh, major, major traffic around the Alamo Dome for the game tomorrow night. The Spurs celebrating 50 years in San Antonio with a game at the Alamo Dome. We're asking you on the JR poll, which was your favorite uh, venue for the Spurs over the years that they've been here? Uh, was your favorite place to see them? Hemisphere Arena? Was it the Alamo Dome? Or was it the AT&T Center? We'll get to more of your calls, more of your votes coming up. Joe Biden and the Revolution. Little red Corvette. Turns out it's not what's going on in the vet. It's what's behind the vet. That's the story. Uh, we'll be talking restaurants tomorrow night in our 6 o'clock hour. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. You know, I was looking through the uh, responses to the poll question on Facebook. A lot of people's favorite uh, Spurs venue corresponds with like childhood or the first time they went to a Spurs game, which I guess would make sense. You know, like you, there'd always be that, you'd always have a place in your heart for the first time you saw them play or saw your hero in person or, you know, whatever the case might be. So that's, that's kind of cool. A lot of neat, neat stories. And, uh, we're asking you, um, which was your favorite Spurs venue as they're making a retro, one-night-only appearance at the Alamo Dome tomorrow night. So I, we, I, I want to preface this by saying that as little as I talk about 
the ro- the British royal family because I think it's pathetic that Americans are so obsessed with the British royal family. If I went by listener response, I'd talk about it every day because whenever I bring it up, I get two kinds of emails. I get angry emails. You said you wouldn't talk about it. And then I get people who are like, no, 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 you have to. Don't you understand why this is important? And I don't, and it's not. And my favorite justification from people that believe this is important, that Harry and Meghan are important, my favorite justification is, Jack, you're a history buff. Don't you realize this is history? No, it's not. These people are not history. I mean, King George VI was history. Queen Elizabeth II was history. These people are a curiosity. They are an anomaly. And I, I make no bones about this. Yes, if you, if, you know, if you get me started, I'll, I'll, I'll go on forever about the incredible, uh, and, 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 uh, inspired courage and leadership of George the Sixth in World War II. He does, he's, he does not get as much credit as he deserves because Churchill is the, is the wartime leader everybody thinks of. But imagine what it would have meant to the British if the British royal family had left for Canada, which they were told to do. And they didn't. They stayed put. I question whether a lot of American politicians would expose themselves to the kinds of dangers that these people expose themselves to. So they came up big. I respect that. I respect Elizabeth. I think she was an amazing woman. I don't think these people are cut from that cloth, made from that mold. They may have some genetic material, but that's about it, right? Okay. So as you know, that this is to preface where I'm going. So as you know, Harry has written a book. And it's called Spare. And it's called Spare because he's so pathetic and needy of attention that he believes or he wants you to believe that he only exists to provide spare body parts to his older brother, William. I thought I had a toxic relationship with my brothers. This is nothing compared to these two. Imagine going around saying that. I'm here to provide a kidney. I'm here to provide blood. What a weirdo. But anyway, he he read the audio book version of his book. Of course he did. And somebody sent an excerpt, and the, you just, the, this is how self-absorbed and, um, I guess you could say, <laughs> starved for attention this dude is. Take, take a listen to this excerpt of Harry reading from his book, Spare. My penis was oscillating between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatized. The last place I wanted to be was Frostnipistan. I'd been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. I found a tube, and the minute I opened it, 
The smell transported me through time. I felt as if my mother was right there in the room. Then I took a smidge and applied it down there. I I can't even respect men that say smidge, but 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 that's the that's not the worst of it. Is Todger? Elizabeth Arden cream? I'm thinking of my mom. My gosh. You still want to defend these people? You still want to say they're important, they're interesting, they're significant? I'm starting to worry about you. You know? I mean, like, I, I used to be like, well, if that's your thing, okay, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I have my hobbies, and I don't pretend that other people wouldn't find them boring. Looking at old car magazines or car brochures or reading, you know, old mystery paperbacks or, I mean, whatever, you know, I got my thing, you got your thing. But boy, a man, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you live with that? Also, how do you forget that you heard it? I felt as if my mother was right there in the room. No. And I took a smidge and applied it down there. Down there. I'm going to stop before I say something I can't take back. Um, they had done a story, I forget where I saw it, uh, about, um, how young people in what, uh, this was CNBC, um, young people in post row America. Do you understand what that is? America is completely different now that we have the Dobbs decision. Completely. Everything's changed. Young people in post row America don't want to live here anymore. They can't live here anymore. And they interviewed a college student. And um, this is the quote that stayed with me. She is a trans woman. She said, there's like 30 states right now I wouldn't even drive through. There's like 30 states right now I wouldn't even drive through. And she has started a nonprofit called Transport that helps trans people uh, deal with their transition and ultimately leave the United States because the United States is a trans unfriendly country. Right now, she says she's considering Iceland for it, its more accepting and safe environment, and that being trans there is a non-issue. Um, but I was fascinated by the um, 30 states I wouldn't even drive through right now. That's a lot of states. She didn't list them. I guess it would be easier if you're, if you're going to say there's 30 states you wouldn't go to, the math suggests it would be just easier to name the states you would go through. I am pretty sure we're going to be one of the 30, don't you think? I think I'm safe on that one. Now, I shouldn't say I know anything about this, but I'll just make this point, and then I'll leave it there for you to comment however you want to comment. Whenever I hear people say, America's just so awful 
for fill in the blank trans people women lgbtq or whatever immigrants you know, wh- whatever i usually think this i I'm, I'm sure there is a place that in the mind of the person saying that they have idealized you know they they're thinking of a place where oh it would be so much better if i lived there and you know that's the grass is always greener thinking and you know what happens when you do that right you know what happens most of the time in life when you imagine that the grass will be greener somewhere else it really isn't but here's the other thing these people that are always planning on leaving the country almost never do they almost never do they claim they would be happy somewhere else but what makes them happier than anything is staying here and running this place down because the truth is it's a lot of work to move to another country i mean i don't care what they what their attitude toward trans people is in iceland they're not just going to wave you in for you know for free it's like oh no you don't need any papers you don't need to apply just come on in we're iceland i mean no it's going to be work and there's going to be bureaucracy and hoops to jump through most countries are not immigrant oriented like we are we go out of our way we try to we try to find a reason to let people in. Most countries are not set up like that. And that's why the people that are always claiming, if Trump wins, I'm leaving. If Bush wins, I'm leaving. If DeSantis wins, I'm leaving. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, if this happens, if that happens, if we don't add 18 more Supreme Court justices, if we don't get rid of the designated hitter rule, whatever, I'm leaving the country. They don't. Because it's work to move, but it's easy to just run your mouth and run down your country. Which, by the way, is another thing that's kind of ironic. We're supposedly this intolerant country. It's amazing how tolerant we are of people that want to badmouth it, though, right? Like, you can do that morning, noon, and night. You can do that your whole life, and we'll let you. We haven't figured that part of our intolerance out yet. So, yeah, 30 states won't even drive through. Might have to stop and use a bathroom. I don't know. Matt is calling in about uh, Harry and his dreadful book. Matt, good afternoon. After you playing that audio clip from Harry, I'm not sure I want to run out and buy that book. (laughs) Yeah, I I think we played the best part. Uh, man, I don't know. I mean, I, I was on a special ops team in Afghanistan, and we had the chance to meet Harry and his men, and he was a nice guy, someone you mm-hmm. could have a beer with. He wanted mm-hmm. to be treated like one of his men. We obliged. Mm-hmm. We had the respect of all of his men that yeah. served under him. But I don't know what happened to that, Harry. Cause did he, I, did he cause smell, like, did he smell like Eve Arden when you met him? <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know about that. You didn't that, get that close, maybe, yeah. No, um, maybe, maybe, sure. maybe. What's her name? What I can't think of her name. What is it? Uh, oh shoot, the wife, Megan. Maybe Megan ruined oh, him. Megan. Maybe he was okay before her. Yeah, I don't know. I think she was disappointed on her honeymoon, though. So we'll leave it at no. that. Well, yeah, let's let's definitely leave it at that. Uh, maybe maybe his todger was not uh, what she had hoped for. I don't know. 
All right, that's a new word for me, by the way. I'm using it a lot because it's a new word. Uh, 210-599-5555, uh, best place to see the Spurs if you saw them in more than one of their venues, AT&T Center, Alamo Dome, uh, or Hemisphere Arena. Tony is on the radio. Tony, what do you say? Hey, Jack. Oh, man. I got to say the Alamo Dome. I've been to both both of the vendors, uh, Alamo Dome, AT&T. When I first came to San Antonio from New York, that's when the Knicks, uh, that's when the Spurs beat the Knicks for their first championship. Oh, yeah. So, a friend, yeah, a friend of mine out here, he gave me tickets to go see one of the games. I think they lost that time, but nevertheless, I mean, the Knicks lost. But the way they celebrated, because the AT&T is right there downtown, and all the people would do was just drive around downtown mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. the game, in mm-hmm. and out of commerce, through Market Street, blowing their horns yep. and everything. And I kind of enjoyed that. It was different in Madison Square. But nevertheless, I, I, I love the way they, um, you know, the Spurs fans, um, how they celebrated after the games. And Because at that time, it, it, what you're saying, Tony, is back then, in any city that won an NBA title, you would have cars on fire and broken window, right? It, it was it was almost like a mixed blessing. You know, your team won the championship, but you had like a near riot. And and San Antonio was the first city I I saw in the nineties that didn't do that. They didn't do that. You're absolutely right. They might blow up the firecrackers, the fireworks, or whatever. And but downtown it was just a lot of horn blowing. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I enjoyed that. I I really dug that. You know, but uh, yeah, AT and T. I mean, uh, the the Alamo Dome was the lick for me. Where it left, I appreciate you, Jack. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate the call. It's funny when he mentioned that I, I'd forgotten that they beat the uh, the Knicks, and it's funny to even think of the Knicks now as a as a contender in the Eastern Conference. They're actually pretty good this year, but uh, they obviously have not been a perennial uh, contender. The Knicks have not. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're actually, they're coming up. Um, yeah, I, the other thing I remember about going to, um, the AT&T Center that, that I liked, and I think it is why people keep, uh, imagining or hoping that the baseball stadium, when it gets built, will be downtown, even though that doesn't seem like a great idea for other reasons. The Alamo Dome was, you know, you could, you could walk, um, you know, from the dome to River Center, uh, you, you could, you know, you could go to Denny's, you could go to River Center, you could, uh, go out somewhere on the Riverwalk, uh, or what have you. And for me, the AT&T Center is just, it's just out. It's not in the middle of nowhere. It's not like it's out in a field, but you're not, you're not obviously going to be walking around, right? You're going to get in the car to wherever you need to go. And I, I, I kind of like the feel of, you know, where I grew up, you had Fenway Park right in the city. You had Boston Garden uh, in the North End, now the TD Garden. Um, and to me, the the just the location and the environs of the AT&T Center leave a little to be uh, desired. But, you know, it's sort of the trade-off, right? They got more parking. Uh, the, the land was available. 
So if you have a favorite uh, Spurs venue over the years, in the 50 years they've been here, which one is your favorite? We're asking you that uh, on today's JR poll. We're going to talk more about it. 210-599-5555. The Corvette Papers. Uh, we're going to talk about that. I was uh, saluting our producer, Don Cooper, for playing Little Red Corvette. Uh, that's such a good pickup on a day like today with the Corvette <laughs> right. Papers. But then I was trying to think, I can't think of any other Corvette songs. Can you? You would ask me that right now, Corvette. I'm sorry. Red Corvette, I mean, I should have, um, yeah, but I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. But I mean, you know, like there's, there's songs about Hot Rods and Mustang Sally and Fun, yeah. Fun, Fun by the Beach Boys mentions the T-Bird. But I can't, you would think, you would think a car as iconic as the Corvette would have other songs, right? Uh, you would think, but I can't think of one. Yeah, I can't either. So, but at least thinks of one. But it, most important. Here's not just Corvette, but it's a red Corvette. Well, right, absolutely. Yeah. Isn't that there was a that. book called All All Corvettes Are Red? Oh. Yeah. Um, and if you can uh, name another song uh, that references Corvettes, I will give you Spurs tickets from WOAI. So there. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> for games that were played in the Alamo Dome. Look That's at the phones right. lighting up. <laughs> Look at that. All right. They're like, yeah, not some people didn't get that, and they're like, oh, he's giving tickets away. Um, 210-599-5555, uh, some are calling them the Corvette Papers, others are calling it Car-a-Lago. Uh, it turns out that former Vice President Joe Biden stashed some classified documents in his garage in Wilmington, Delaware, next to his vintage vet. Today he tried to justify it to Fox News' Peter Ducey. Take a listen. Classified, classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. But anyway, yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know... I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Mm. Well, we know you take them. We don't know if you take them seriously. I don't get the feeling that Joe Biden is a big reader, do you? I mean, I'm just going to say it. I feel like he's a not a guy that would, uh, you know, be pouring through these materials. Um, it's also interesting to me, uh, when they discovered that Trump had this stuff, they were trying to figure out why he had it. And there were people who said, oh, he didn't know he had it. It was a, a mishmash. It was a mess. There was papers everywhere. Then there were people who said, well, Trump's a kind of a hoarder. He keeps a lot of keepsakes, and he might have kept these things just because he thought they were kind of cool, because he's also not much of a reader, not much of a detail guy. Um, and, and then, of course, the... The, the very real possibility that Donald Trump has always intended to get back to the presidency. I would just point out, with Biden's classified documents that he walked out with in 2017, Joe Biden's political career in 2017 was finito. It was over. No one, no one, including him, thought that, that, was, that there was any chance he would be president, given that Obama, Team Obama passed right over him to anoint Hillary for the Democrats in 2016. And from that point on, given his age, given his limited faculties, 
There was no expectation that, that Joe Biden would need anything or need to be preparing in any way for a return to power. Now, he, he says that, and so whether you believe this or not, he says that he got back into the arena because of Trump. But he couldn't have known that in 2017. So he had the documents in at least three places. He knew he had them. And he knew they had discovered them when he was in Mexico City making the comments that he made. Uh, he knew it when he was expressing the outrage about Trump having them. And, and, and by the way, I'm not defending one over the other. It, it's not good for these things to be floating around. Um, but what's interesting about the way different people react to the news today is that so many people see this as simply a case of it's okay when my side does it, but not when the other side does it. You even have Democrats openly sort of, uh, you know, I guess you could say um, mourning the fact that now that there's a special counsel investigating Biden, that puts a real crimp in their plans to quote-unquote get uh, Donald Trump. I also noticed um, when Peter Ducey asks him that question, not only is it a is it a really cringy answer, but he has a prepared, worded, sort of legally legalese statement. Can you play that again, Don? Because he interrupts the canned answer he's supposed to give with the with the quip about, I had it locked up with my Corvette. Can we play that again? Thank you, thank you, Mr. President. Mr. President, okay. classified, classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, we're going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So but anyway, in a yes, as well as my Corvette. They they had him set up to give a the process needs to go forward, and we're cooperating, and that's the big difference. We're cooperating, and Trump didn't, but he can't help himself. He's so he thinks that Corvette makes him so cool. And to me, the issue is this. First, if these documents really should be classified, then they shouldn't be floating around like this. I don't care who it is. If we're over-classifying documents, then this is much ado about nothing. How much chutzpah do you have to have to comment about Trump, who had the right to presidential records because he was president, even if he didn't handle them carefully, when you, Joe Biden, in 2017 had not been president and had no declassification power and should definitely not have had any papers. And you were exiting public life. You were done. It's crazy. The story is crazy. I predict the whole thing will drag on and on through the 2024 cycle. I think think it's pretty safe to say that. If you remember the John Durham investigation oh it's coming it's coming and we weren't right through 2020 this will go right through 2024 and if the pattern holds nothing will happen to any of these people i mean 
It's the Hillary Clinton rule, right? Which is that the rules don't apply. 210-599-5555. All right, a couple of other things we're going to get into here. A Canadian school board has um, released a new professional dress code for teachers, which is a little bit surprising because, you know, this is not a school that has, like, school uniforms. But this is after a backlash over a trans teacher who was wearing clownishly gigantic prosthetic breasts. School district passing the motion last week, uh, ordering a policy to ensure, quote, appropriate and professional standards of dress and decorum uh, in the classroom. Photos had gone viral last year of a high school teacher named Kayla Lemieux who was wearing um, very tight clothing to emphasize her Z-cup prosthetic breasts while teaching in the classroom. Huge nipples can also be seen protruding from her balloon-like breasts. Photos sparked protests, angry complaints, even bomb threats at the school, which is 10 miles outside of Toronto. So you actually have to have a dress code to tell teachers, don't dress like a, a, a clown, okay? Don't wear inflatable body parts. I, I don't know what, I don't know how to feel about this because, of course, we don't want that. But if you have to make a dress code, if, if you, if you have to make it a rule, like put it in the little employee manual, then what you're saying is we're not hiring people of discernment and judgment. And that's a bigger problem. You can't make a rule for everything. Don't we need teachers that know how to, how to behave? Don't we need teachers that know how to act like adults? Don't we need teachers who, whatever their issues are, whatever their personal lives are, know how to check them at the classroom door? And, and how do you write that into a manual? I don't think you can. I happen to know a lot of teachers. I have teachers in my family. Good teachers leave it all at the classroom door. And I don't just mean the balloon breasts. I mean everything. I mean you're having a bad day, you fought with your husband or wife, or you you have some concern, or you have a health issue, or your team lost the big game, or whatever it is. You just don't bring it in. So it's kind of sad to me that you would have to make a dress code that says, well, please don't wear, um, you know, Balloon breasts. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna write that up. Well, how big can they be? Is there a size chart? That's sort of sad. I was cruising in my stingray late one night, and a XKE pulled up on the right. He rolled down the window of his shiny new Jag and challenged me then and there to a drag. I said you run, buddy, mom, tail's running fine. Let's come off the line now, but sunset and fine. But I'll throw you one better if you got the nerve. Let's race all the way to goodness. All right, we have a lot of calls uh, pointing out the Jan and Dean reference, the Stingray in Dead Man's Curve. So that's two besides Little Red Corvette by Prince. Uh, that uh, reference Corvettes. Corvettes should have a lot of songs, right? I mean, come on. Iconic American car. 
Um, I really look forward, uh, Don, to uh, the future. All the all the really cool electric car songs we're going to have. Uh, I think those are going to be those are going to be amazing. Yeah, I can't wait for the one about the Tesla. You know. <laughs> yeah, what? A, mm-hmm. I can't wait for what rhymes with Tesla. All right, I'm sure Harry <laughs> Harry probably has a word that rhymes with Tesla. Um, Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. School board in Canada ordering a dress code. So the teachers will know not to wear uh, ginormous inflated boobs in the classroom. I don't know what to say about that. I applaud the dress code. I mourn the need for it, I guess. Um, I talked about this story on our Jack Riccardi Just a Minute uh, video, uh, our dreadful videos uh, yesterday. It's a uh, video game company called Limited Run Games. Um, I, I know nothing about video games, so I, I don't know anything about them. I've never heard of them. They were in the news because uh, they fired an employee, and they said that they fired her over uh, some Twitter accounts. And so you would think that this person had posted stuff on Twitter that was mean or hurtful or hateful or incendiary. But actually, it turns out that this woman had followed a couple of Twitter accounts, one of which I also follow, um, uh, by a conservative named Ian Chung. And the reason they fired this employee, again, not for anything she posted, but for a couple of Twitter users whom she follows, is because an activist dimed her out to the company, the activist's uh, goes by the name Purple Tinker. And um, Purple Tinker bragged about the fact that he or she got this person, this woman, fired from limited run games. So it's the typical thing, right? One squeaky wheel, one activist. And the company folds. But what stood out for me was they put out a statement, LRG, Limited Run Games, respects all personal opinions. However, we remain committed to supporting an inclusive culture. Upon investigating a situation, which, no, they didn't. They were told. An employee was terminated. Our goal as a company is to continue to foster a positive and safe environment for everyone. Well, what about a positive and safe environment for the employee? I mean, I don't know anything about anything. I don't know if this was a good employee or not, but let's just say for the sake of argument, here's somebody that comes to work every day, works for your company, does what they're supposed to do, contributes value, and you let one person paint a target on their back? I don't think you get to use words like inclusive and safe unless you mean them for your own freaking employees. Look, I'm not naive. I know my company is not my family. Even when companies say that, we know that's not true. And you should not deceive yourself about the fact that when you work for a company, it's it's a business arrangement. I get it. But I will say this. And this is very personal to me. I don't think you should work for people who don't have your back. And if they don't have your back, find someone who does. 
And again, I understand it's it's business. I'm not saying the company didn't have the right to do this. They have the right to do anything they want. But I, I think it's pathetic and weak to let somebody to cave in to somebody outside your organization. Someone who has no um no business doing that, although Purple Tinker claims to have spent hundreds or thousands of dollars on limited game, uh, limited uh, run game products, which is also pathetic that you're bragging on Twitter that you spent thousands of dollars on video games. But it's just it, the, the, the gall of people trying to get other people fired, that is never going to sit right with me. That is never going to be okay with me. You and I could agree on an issue, but if your m- means of, of acting on that issue is to try to get somebody fired, I'm not with you, and I never will be. Because I've been fired, and it it's not a good feeling. And I have no respect for companies that cannot even defend their own employees, and I've had plenty of experience with that. 210-599-5555. We talked about this uh, the other day. This guy, uh, George Santos, is a new congressman. He was elected um, from a district in New York that had been Democratic, and it turns out that he lied about everything. I mean, who knows if his name is even George Santos. He, he lied about his sexual preference. He lied about his marriage. He lied about his religion. He lied about his ethnicity. He lied about college. He lied about past employers. He lied about everything. So the, the new hot thing is to demand that George Santos should resign. The uh, editorial pages of liberal newspapers, numerous commentators, he needs to resign. Now, I'm not defending him. He seems like a lowlife. But wouldn't you think the first order of business, before you demand that somebody else resign for their lies is that you come clean on your own. How many of these media outlets, newspapers, networks, commentators, how many of them lied about the Russians colluding with Trump? How many of them have lied about that? How many of them have um, repeated the lies of powerful politicians they champion or agree with and and received awards and accolades and pulitzers and and uh you know so forth for their lies so i i don't think anybody that has not yet put their own books in order should be talking about george santos and george santos is the least of our problems i mean don't get me wrong I wouldn't want him as my congressman. And probably the people in his district will not want him as theirs. But it's hilarious, right? I mean, this this Biden story today is a test. Because one of the reasons they're griping about it on CNN and The View is because now they have to go through the motions with Biden that they went through with Trump. They hate that. This is like being being forced to stay at the table till you finish your broccoli. And they'll do it. It won't be very convincing, and you and I won't be convinced, but 
That, that, that's a big problem they have with this whole thing. Oh, man, Joe, now we got to have a special counsel. Now we got to pretend that we care. Now that we got to pretend. 210-599-5555. I'm in a quicksand and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to turn. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my mind. Or into the night. Tomorrow night, we'll uh, talk restaurants on the dish in our 6 o'clock hour. It's what we do. The last hour of the week, we uh, talk about uh, you know any kind of restaurant anywhere in and around San Antonio and South Texas. You can praise or zing the food, the price, the service on that restaurant. And it's been a busy day in the news. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of, a lot of what we talk about... <clears throat> Is basically, if you, if you were to sum up a lot of the topics on almost every day's shows, it is about a worldview based around politics or wokeness or political correctness. And I've made this point many times before that to me, um, people's behaviors about their politics or about their devotion to their candidate or their party or their ideology, it mimics religion. You know, people used to say, and it's debatable, um, when they would want to knock religion, they would say every war was started over religion. So much of human suffering came out of the imposition of one religious group on another or what have you. So many misguided behaviors of of people, if you think about it historically, come from the idea, well, we're here because we're 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 the true believers or we're closer to God. Or I mean colonization and slavery and so many other things were either justified or based on or built on or defended by uh organized religion. Now we live in a world that has largely removed religion. Almost no government invokes it. Almost no government acts in its name. There are no official religions. And yet, the way people are acting in this woke culture, this extreme devotion to ideology, believing that you're saving the planet and that no matter what suffering that causes it's worth it because you know and you're saving mother earth and you that that's the delusion of people that we used to attribute to religion and there's a famous quote from GK Chesterton when a man stops believing in god he doesn't then believe in nothing He believes in anything. And I think that's a way of saying that when we took religion out of the equation, the the vacuum got filled. And it got filled by this devote. I mean, maybe your religion now is the mask you wear. Maybe your religion now is your your devotion to green energy. Maybe your uh, religion now is your... um, uh, incessant 
uh, need to teach critical race theory or, or whatever it is. You can't tell me that the, the, um, sort of, uh, devotion, right? Uh, and, and enthusiasm and sort of sense of piety, right? These people are, you can't debate them. They don't want to argue. They don't sit there with their, their chin in their hand and go, Oh yeah, you have a good point. I see your side too. No. They are right. You are wrong. Everyone that doesn't agree with them is bad. It does kind of look like the, the, the dark side of religion. I'm not, I'm not preaching against religion, but there is a difference between faith in God and organized religion. And sometimes organized religion is contra to faith in God. It makes people do things or it makes them feel entitled to do things that God doesn't want you to do that aren't, aren't in keeping with the, the true tenets of Christianity or any, or any religion. So I think, I think that's kind of where we're at right now. I look at a lot of the stuff that we talk about and there is a kind of messianic, um, devotion. I've said this before. I, I think many pastors envy the loyalty and the, um, adherence that the woke crowd has to their beliefs. You wish you could get your church to give and believe and show up and preach and, you know, just every, you know, they're so committed. And somebody said, you know, maybe we are wired for this and, and there has to be something. In other words, maybe human beings are wired in a way that you, 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 there has to be a belief system. So if you take away the traditional one, which was in, in, in Western civilization was the Judeo-Christian belief system. If you take that away, the wiring requires that something else take its place. Because I don't think we've ever had a time when there was such idolization of people and of human ideas. Not, not like, oh, isn't, you know, isn't this undeniably true or this is natural law or natural rights, but he over there, he's right. I'm with him. And by the way, it's not just on the left. So just saying. I was also thinking about today the, um, I keep hearing the term, the triple demic. And you know what that is, right? The triple demic is the new pandemic. The triple demic is COVID flu, and RSV. And COVID is the newest of those three, but flu and RSV are always around at this time of year. Some people would have you believe that they are skyrocketing, they're out of control, it's a forest fire, and uh, we need masks, and we need to go back to masks, or and, and that's happening in certain places. Um. But I was reading an interesting uh, piece today by a doctor who said, really, he thinks the real triple-demic right now is a triple-demic of panic. And his worry, it's a very long piece, but in a nutshell, his worry is, as somebody that treats actual illness, he's worried that more and more people he sees and hears from are irrationally afraid. Now, think about it. This time of year, Every year of your life, there's flu and colds 
and like in our part of the country, cedar fever and all that stuff. You have to live through that. You've always lived through that. We have to go out into it. We actually have to, our bodies need to be exposed to it in order to strengthen our immunity and our immune response to it. And his concern is that people are starting to get this idea that if they follow the right regimen, if they wear the right kind of mask, if everybody wears a mask, or we start limiting things again, we can get past this. So all your life, you knew when this time of year rolled around, sooner or later, I'm going to get cold. Sooner or later, I'm going to get strep throat. I'll catch it from my kids. I'll catch it at work. I'll just, you know. He's worried that we're, we're suffering from the delusion that's being, obviously, it's being fed to us. That, oh, you know, you if, if you do everything right, if you do everything we tell you to do, you won't ever get sick. Which is, when you hear it put that way, is kind of crazy, right? But that also, also to me, that also sounds a little bit like a um, almost a faith system belief. Like, now you're not talking science. You're talking belief in masks. And I think I'm not putting you down if you wear a mask. You may have very good reasons. It's up to you. It's a free country. But I do think there are people wearing masks now almost as a talisman or a symbol. And that is kind of freaky-deaky when you get right down to it. On the JR poll, I think this is kind of a surprise outcome. I didn't see this one coming. Um, that's what Harry said. Um, which was your favorite Spurs venue since they are marking 50 years in San Antonio and going to play uh, a nostalgic return to the Alamo Dome tomorrow night? They're going to be there with 68,000 people to take on uh, the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry. What was your favorite Spurs venue? It was not even close. It was a landslide for Hemisphere Arena. 59% said Hemisphere Arena. 34% said the Alamo Dome. And a mere 7% chose the current Spurs home court AT&T Arena. Or AT&T Center, I should say. So, uh, a lot of nostalgia for the convention. Obviously, they can't go back there. Uh, but they are going back to the Alamo Dome tomorrow night. You know, one other thing I, I remember from going to Spurs game, when I first moved here and I would go to a lot of Spurs games, um, at the Dome. And again, this is just a, a fun observation. It's not meant as a criticism, but like I was used to going to games for the game. I'm a sports fan. I'm watching the action. I'm locked in. Yeah, you watch your favorite player, or you you watch, you know, you root for your team or whatever. I started to notice at the Alamo Dome, do you remember how that was really a social event? There were tons of people who were really not there for the game. They were there for like the gathering, the happening, you know? And um it became like a place to to be seen and, and to see and be seen. The people watching was, you know, but I, I, that was new to me. I had not. There's a little of that at any sporting event, you know, any baseball park, football, any. But but I, I'd never seen so much of it. That the Alamo Dome was like you were at a you were at a game, you were at a club, you were at a party, you were at a restaurant. You, it was it was a little bit of everything, and there were just a ton of people 
who I don't think if you'd asked them the score or if you'd asked them uh, who, who are the Spurs playing tonight, they didn't even know. They wouldn't have even known. So, um, In honor of the Corvette Papers today, we're going to leave you one more time tonight with uh, the Prince song, which I predict we'll be hearing a lot more about and a lot more about Corvettes. And back here tomorrow with all the breaking news at 4 and the dish at 6. Have a good night and check your garage for classified documents.